I finally could just admit it and accept myself. When you're 11, it puts an amazing stress on you that others aren't going through. It just took up a lot of me. The conservative, like, evangelical message that I had when I was that age was quite detrimental to me. I just said, Mum, I have something to tell you. And she said, are you gay? And I said, yes. That rejection that I experienced drove me into like a activist mentality. I was told by like science, I was told by everyone else that it's fine and just to accept yourself and this is part of who you are. And then by the gay rights world, I was told this is something special. In fact, this sets you apart from everyone else and you're amazing. And yet on the flip side, I felt like I was just in this world that didn't know how to have true intimacy. I was in a pub in central Sydney with a lovely bar and there's just a girl there called Genevieve. She said, well, do you believe there's a God? I said, well, I think there's definitely something there. I'm homosexual, so I've been through this, no thanks, kind of thing. And she said, well, have you experienced the love of God? And I'm like, I was like, what? No, you can't experience God's love. Like, that's not possible. You know, I don't usually do this, but I really feel like I have to pray for you. As she kept praying for me, I heard this voice just say, do you want me? Do you want me? Second time. And then a third time. Do you want me? And I just said yes. My spirit saying, of course, you would give that up to God. Jesus died on the cross for you, you'd give him anything. And so I just gave God my my homosexuality. I would say that love isn't what society tries to sell it as. Love is very different to what you're being told it is. And you need to get to know who love is. The joy that I have in my heart is because I know that love. Hello, New Day. It is such a pleasure and an honor to be here today to speak to you. Now, before I start, I have a personal, personal hashtag, hashtag fabulous made glorious. <laughs> and that kind of sums up my story to you. You know, you might look at that video and think, oh, that was a bit intense, you know, wow. But there was a really time in my life where I thought that I was condemned because I was gay or same-sex attracted and that God wasn't interested in a relationship with me. 
Um, and so today I want to show you how I went from that place to an incredible place of joy, knowing actually that I was the beloved of God. But before I do that, I want to just introduce myself quickly. So I work for the Zacharias Trust and the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. So we deal with all the big questions. And I really hope to see you in the Engage tent where we can engage on a closer level because this is such a profound question and it really does relate to everything. Um, The question of human desire, why do we desire these things? What's happened to human desire with the entry of sin and the fall into the world? But the reality is, at the end of the day, with all this complexity, we have no answers anymore, just the life that we've lived. And so in Revelation 12:11, it says, they overcome the enemy through the blood of the Lamb, that's the cross, that's Jesus, that's everything he's done for us, this amazing Lord, the word of our testimony, which I'm going to share with you now, and that they love not their lives as to shrink from death. That's the third one that we kind of forget about. It's kind of, oh, the death thing, you know? And the other thing I want to talk to you about today is, what does it mean to really give yourself completely to God? Is that even possible? And I actually share more of my story in a book that I've written, A War of Loves, um, which is the unexpected story of a gay activist discovering Jesus Christ. So that will be coming out November this year. And if you want to grab that and read that, it will have more of my story, more details um, for you there. But you've probably heard the slogan, like, in the press, love is love. Right? Have you guys heard that? Love is just love. And, you know, gay relationships are fine. And, you know, you Christians are bigoted. And isn't it? Like, we're in 2018. Surely, like, love is just love. But when you really go deeper into what people are saying with that, it doesn't mean anything. It's a tautology, which means it doesn't actually communicate, like love is love doesn't communicate a definition of love. But the Bible says that love, we know what love is because Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And so when I was 14, I was asking the question, what is love? I was raised in an atheist home, where we didn't believe God existed. But I came out and I was searching for origin, meaning, morality, destiny, all the big questions. And at the age of 10, I remember hearing my Christian uncles making comments about gay people. And deep down, I knew I was that person. And I felt this kind of like self-rejection. I don't know if you've ever felt that, where you just go, oh, well, then I'm not worth anything and you reject yourself. I don't know if that's ever your experience. But I think for a lot of us here that are same-sex attracted or gay, we struggle with that voice that says, you're not worth anything. You're gay. You're less than. You're never going to get married and have kids and live the perfect life. But we see Jesus offers a very different kind of life to what our society worships. But I didn't know that. I thought Christianity was all about being perfect and living in that, like a house with a white picket fence and everyone was just really happy. <laughs> but actually, we see this Lord who goes to the cross and dies and gives his life for all. 
The late Henry Nouwen, himself a same-sex-attracted priest, said, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life, it's not success, popularity, or power, but it's self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power, money, are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am nobody. I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the Christian life because it contradicts the sacred voice of Jesus that calls us his beloved. Being the beloved of God constitutes the core truth of our identity and existence. And that's what I didn't know. I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know that I was his cherished creation, and I thought that the Bible condemned me, disqualified me, and I wanted nothing to do with God. I battled this self-rejection, and I cast it aside, and I rejected it in favor of, like, radical self-disclosure. I'm gay, and that's just it. And you all, if you don't accept that, well, then I'm rejecting you. And I became kind of this, like, indie guy with really, really skinny jeans and, like, a black kind of quiff over my thing. I used to go to Melbourne and have all, like, you know, Australian coffee, and I would read, you know, intellectual philosophers and became, like, a political activist. But deep down inside, I was yearning for something. And all my boyfriends would say to me, David, you're looking for something else. Like, you want, I can't fulfill you. Like, you have this desire that's just so strong. And as I thought about these questions of meaning, morality, origin, destiny, these are all the questions that you're wrestling with today. And I'm so honored to be here to share with you, to help you wrestle with your questions. But the world couldn't tell me why I was gay. The gay rights movement said to me, well, David, you're gay because you were born that way. But then the science said there's no conclusive reason why someone's gay or same-sex attracted, but we know that it's not a choice. And then Christianity was shut off from me, and we just don't know why 2 to 3% of the population are gay or same-sex attracted. It's a mystery. But to me, Christianity was what oppressed women, it's what oppressed gay people, it was a law over our head, and that if we didn't please God, we're going to go to hell. And I can guarantee you, that's what most gay people think the gospel is. And you have the opportunity to show them, no, salvation is a gift, that there's nothing you can do to earn that gift. And that's what I want to help you guys with today is I want to remove those obstacles that you might feel when your friend says, I'm gay, you want to run the other direction. <laughs> that you might actually step into that and say, oh, yeah, okay. That's great. We know, yeah, we've got lots of gay people in church, same-sex attracted people in church, loving Jesus and following him. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to capture some of that 
as I tell this story. So one day, I was in a park, and I was with my Russian Orthodox boyfriend at the age of 15, and he handed me this amber cross that had like gold flakes in it, and it was like shining in the sun. He put it in my hand, and he said, David, I know you're not a Christian, I know you hate Christianity, but I don't know why, I just need to give you this cross. I feel like, for some reason, and he put it in my hand, and he kissed me. And as he kissed me, a man pulled up on a motorbike, took a stone from one of the garden beds, and proceeded to throw the stone over. And it just hit me on the right shoulder, (laughs) and I kind of was winded by it. And I just remember thinking, in that moment, I am going to use every breath of my life to destroy homophobia, to destroy that hatred. And I thought Christianity was responsible for it. I thought Christianity was what caused homophobia. But actually, in the Bible, we see a very different story. In Romans 1, we see Paul talking about the creation falling and this broken system of worship where people have desires that are no longer how they're supposed to be and that God gives them over to that. But then later in Romans, he says, God has given everyone over to disobedience so that he can have mercy upon them. Paul's not describing just homosexual people, although he is talking about same-sex practice there. He's talking about the whole system of creation and our internal world has been broken so that we worship the creation and ourselves over God. And I thought the message before was really great because it's talking about that same theme. And out of that broken worship comes these broken desires. And actually, I used to think Romans 1 completely condemned me and that I was disqualified from the love of God, but I didn't really understand what it was saying. It was saying every Christian was like that. Every Christian in that vice list in Romans 1 that Paul outlines, they're disqualified from the love of God. Well, that, that can't be because God saved all these other people. Well, no, this scripture that I thought condemned me later in my life actually became the marker of my acceptance into the kingdom of God. And that's what's so amazing about the gospel, is unless you understand the gospel, you can't understand the whole scripture and how it works together with the issue of homosexuality. So people need to discover what the gospel was, and I hadn't discovered that at that age. I was still what Paul calls under the law. I was under this voice that says, you're not good enough, you'll never make it, reject yourself, God doesn't love you. So, two years later, my mom becomes a Christian. Yeah, that's right, a Christian. And I'm like, you have to choose between the delusion in your head and your gay son standing right in front of you. So make your choice, mom. Like, it better be good. It better be me, because I'm real. Whereas, like, God's just a delusion in your head. And my mom was like, by loving God, I love you better, David. And I stormed out of the room, and I said some, you know, gay activist spiel against my mom. But again, as I'm going out to the gay world, I'm going out to gay clubs, and I'm meeting people and trying to find a boyfriend, and 
I'm consumed by this question, like, what is love? And so I'm in a pub, the gay kind of dance area in Oxford Street in Sydney, and I have this little journal, and I write the question, I write the question what is love? And I hand it around to everyone, and I collect it back up at the end. And a lot of the responses are like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. That was like, most of the answers in the journal <laughs> had to do with that song. And then it was like some austere quote from a philosopher, some kind of joke. And I was sitting there. All the people in this room were people that I deeply respected, like the highest intellectuals, politicians. And they had no answer for the question, what is love? And C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And so even in this, my life as a gay activist and in that world, I didn't know what love was. I hadn't received the gospel yet. And I just want to like explain to you how horrible that is. When you're in that state and you don't know the gospel, you don't know about God's love for you. You don't know that Jesus has died and that it's a free gift and you're stuck. And I just want to say to you, like if you're one of those people here today where you're stuck under the law, where you feel like I, I'm never going to make it with God. I actually had a prophetic message when I was in worship, worshiping with you all. I just felt like that God say, you don't understand. I know it's a mystery, all of this. But as you praise and worship him here at this conference, that he's actually going to, that mountain you think is impossible, whether it's your homosexuality or a desire you have, whatever it is, God is going to move that mountain. He's, when you believe in him by faith, he's going to move that mountain. And that's what he did in my life. So I'm at Christmas lunch table in 2008 with my fundamentalist Christian aunt and uncle. In my mind, anti-gay, anti-feminist Christians. You know, I would have probably thrown up a little bit in my mouth if I knew I was speaking, I would be speaking to you 10 years later at that moment. I could have been like, ew, I'm talking to Christians. I'd be a Christian apologist, what? But there I was 10 years ago in that place. And my uncle mentioned something about God. And it was like I was triggered, you know, boom. And the machine gun came out, machine gun gun of objections. And I start just like firing down my uncle and saying, you Christians think you have the absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. You can't even produce truth with language out of your mouth. So don't try to talk to me about God. I mean, there is no God. And I I studied postmodern philosophy at university. So I was like, you can't even know about God. Language can't even communicate truth. So don't try to talk to me about God. And my uncle turned around to me and he said, well, David, there's um, a few problems with what you're saying. And I was like, like what? And he said, well, you said there's no absolute truth and that's an absolute truth. And you just communicated that with language. So you just doubly contradicted yourself. Oh, really? <laughs> well, you Christians, da, da, da. and then the machine gun objections come back out. And then I storm out of the room and like try to close the door behind me, but the door doesn't quite close. And I'm like trying to close the door. <laughs> and 
Something about what my uncle did, although he challenged me and it kind of frustrated me, he said to me just after that, David, the truth isn't a concept in my head. It's a person that I know. And even if I don't know that person perfectly, my claim is today as a Christian that he loves you. He loves me and he loves everyone. And I stormed out of the room. Then he went home that day and he was in the car with my aunt and he had a prophetic word from God. And he saw the Holy Spirit over me in that room when we had that debate. And he said to my aunt, in three months' time, David will become a Christian. My aunt's like, did you just stop? Are you sure about that? Did you just see his reaction? And he was exactly right. I had three months of atheism left. And so, three months later, I'm in a pub in central Sydney, and you probably heard about how I became a Christian on this video. And I'm in this pub, and there's this girl there, and she's got a film into the largest short film competition in the world. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get an interview with her for my magazine. So I approach her, and I say, so, like, how did you get this film into the largest short film competition in the world? That's incredible. And she said to me, well, do you like the interview answer or the real answer? I said, I want the, I want the real answer. She's like, well, um, it was God. I was like, which one? Like, Vishnu, Allah, like, take your pick? She was like, Jesus. I'm like, okay, I'm surrounded by Christians, you know? <laughs> and this was exactly three months after my uncle and I had this debate. And so we end up talking, and I'm like, I've read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and I've read Romans 1, and I'm just, you know, I, uh, Christianity, like, I'm really good, like, I'm gay, no thanks. And she just turns to me, and she says, David, you know what? You don't know who you are. No one knows who they are. Have you experienced the love of God? And I had encountered so many Christians all my life that would try to give me some answer about homosexuality and explain in the Bible it says this. But this question went straight through every one of my defenses. And I said, you can't experience God. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's just a Bible concept, God. He's not actually real. And she said to me, he is. And I don't usually do this, but can I pray for you? I just really feel the presence of God right now. So she prays for me, and as she prays for me, I feel this tingling sensation, like, coming on the top of my head. I'm like, whoa. I mean, I've done meditation, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, what is that? And it's getting stronger and stronger, and it's like someone pouring oil over my head, and it went straight down. I was like, all the way through my body. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And I heard this voice say to me three times, do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want me? And the first question in John's gospel that Jesus ever asks is, what do you want? And the funny thing about that question is actually right deep down, everyone wants God. It's just that sin has got in the way. We have to be liberated from that power so that we can truly find what we love, which is God alone. And in this moment, I just said yes. And I saw this pinprick of light 
come straight in, like one of those old school paintings you might see in a museum. Just like the Holy Spirit, and this veil is torn over me, and this like whoa, this light just comes into me, and I'm like breathing without breathing, and I, I turn to this girl, and I'm like, I'm breathing without breathing. What's happening to me? She's like, you're being born again. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, God, we just thank you. You know, the Christian prayers, you know, the blood of Jesus has done it, you know, and I've, inv- I've kind of adopted her prayer style. Um, <laughs> and so, like, this amazing moment where I encountered the love of God, and then I heard a final question, Will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said yes. And suddenly this deluge, like a river, is just poured out of me, and it's the love of God, and I've never encountered this love. And as Christians, we often say, you know, homosexuality is a sin. You know what gay people hear when they hear that? They hear... So you're saying to me that I'm disqualified from a relationship with God and a relationship with a romantic partner. And in our society, they're the two highest forms of meaning and transcendence. So you're basically deleting me as a person. And before you've even started, that person is turned off the gospel because they don't know this free gift first. And that's one of the things I suppose as an evangelist myself working for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and the Zacharias Trust is when I'm talking to the LGBTQI community, I'm very aware that they have been told that homosexuality is a sin. (laughs) My question is, how do I get them into the gospel? How do I get them to a place so they can experience that love and know a higher form of transcendence, a higher form of meaning? Why would you give up your sexuality? Something so personally precious if you haven't found something greater, a greater love. And that's really my message to you guys this morning is we've got to find the greater love. Because we can obey out of law. We can go, I'm trying to like climb my way up to God. But that obedience is worthless. The only obedience that will last eternally is when we know that love. We've been given that grace. And then we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice out of experiencing a higher form of transcendence, a higher form of meaning, which is God himself. And so I think when you're with your gay friends, and there'll be many of you here that are gay or same-sex attracted um, today, I just want to say, introduce them to that love. Introduce them to Jesus, to that transcendence because that's the only way that any of us can find our path in Christ. Whether we're heterosexual, homosexual, all these labels, really we're in Christ, and that means we've received salvation as a free gift from God. And so I've received this free gift, and I'm running around university, and I'm buying sushi rolls for homeless men and giving them, and like telling everyone about Jesus, it's a free gift, oh my gosh, hallelujah, like the next day, I'm just completely filled with this love, and my whole life has been transformed. And all my friends at uni thought I was crazy. (laughs) David thinks he's found God. He's a bit touched. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I became the very person that I hated. I became the person that I thought condemned me in that moment. So I went home that night, and my mom was waiting up. 
and she's heard about this prophetic word. So I come in, and she's there, and I'm like, hi, Mom. She's like, hi, David. So she's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? I was like, yeah. She's like, you look a bit, is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, Mom, I'm okay, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, actually, um, I think uh, just just be, be, become a Christian. Hallelujah! He's the God of the impossible. My mother's an opera singer, so she projects her voice. <laughs> Hallelujah! You know, it's like, she does like praise laps around the house. Like, and I'm like, mom, 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 whoa, like, calm down. What do you mean there's a prophecy and everything? I don't understand. She tells me that like, she heard that I was going to get saved in three months' time. It was exactly three months' time that I was saved that night. And God had, like, broken into my life. It was just... It was amazing. I just can't describe... I got my relationship with my mother back. I got my family back. You know, this conflict that I had with my Christian family was resolved. And God is just so good, guys. I really... When I think about the way he saved me, (laughs) he's worth it. He's really worth it. And what we see in him is that he gave the fullness of himself. Have you ever thought about how the fact that Jesus isn't created, right? He wasn't created. He's the word of God from God, light from light. God could never recreate Jesus. And God gave his only son. He couldn't just create another one, another Jesus. This was his precious self, his fullness given to us. And I got to a place in my journey where I was like, God, if you gave me that precious one, if you gave me that fullness of yourself, what is my sexuality? Like, you, just, you can have it. Like, anything you want. My money, my body, my popularity. God, it's yours. How could I hold that back? And St. Paul says, you know, our our bodies have been bought at a price, that we're not to do what we want with them, but that they're now God's, they're now Jesus's on the cross, He bought them. And I think sometimes when we ask the question of sexuality, we've forgotten the deeper question of how can I honor God with my whole life, sexuality included? Because I'm not just my sexuality, I'm not reduced down to just a label. So we're just going to, like, jump in now after my story. I'm going to jump into a little bit of Scripture. Um, If you've got your Bibles, you can just kind of get ready. (laughs) Um, So in Matthew 15, 19 to 20, Jesus makes a radical statement. There's a whole society that's worried about, Jewish society that's worried about, am I clean on the outside? Am I pure on the outside? And Jesus turns that upside down and inside out. And he says, it's not the things on the outside that make you unclean. It's the things from the inside, including sexual immorality, porneia. So this word means basically any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And Jesus later in Matthew 19, 3 to 6, if you want to also look that up as I'm talking, he talks about how 
He ratifies Genesis, which you just heard about, God creating the male and female. And he says, have you not heard the Creator who says, and quotes Genesis? And so he ratifies that marriage is between a man and a woman, that the Creator made them that way. And not to exclude LGBTQI people. You know, I used to think that this passage was to exclude me. But actually, this passage is about a mystery. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. It's about a mystery. What is that mystery? What's being revealed in Christ? It's that before eternity passed, when God was creating the world, He had His logos, His word, Jesus, in His mind. And He said, I want to make a creature like my logos, like my word, and He'll be Jesus. But it's not good for that Jesus to be alone. I want to create others like Him. And so I'm going to create another who's different yet like Jesus, and that's his church, his bride. And then they're going to become one for all eternity. And the amazing news about the fact that God created the male and female that's hidden at the back of that is that actually this is to celebrate the bigger marriage of Jesus and the bride, his church. And that whether you're LGBTQI, SSA, whatever label it is, whatever you're experiencing internally, Jesus invites you to His wedding feast. You will be in a wedding. You will not miss out on romance. Because the greatest romance there is, is between Jesus and the church. Between God and your soul. And giving up sexuality for that is totally worth it. And I've experienced that romance. I live in that romance. And it's given me so much more joy as a gay celibate person. Now, let's fast forward quickly to a group of people in the Bible. It's kind of a weird word. <laughs> I was always like, ew, what is that word? <laughs> it was like, eunuch. Have you ever heard that in the Bible, eunuch? Well, eunuchs were people who were born from a young age with a kind of ambiguity about their sex, or they may have been made eunuchs so they couldn't have sex in a royal court in the ancient world. But Jesus in the Gospels also, in Matthew, talks about there will be people who will become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I believe that God is calling a generation of people like that today. And you might feel that calling, that you might be a celibate person for His glory. And let me tell you, that's amazing. You get to spend your whole life dedicated to children of God being born all around the world. And that's why I'm here with you today, because God has called me to a ministry to do that same thing. I still can have children but children in the gospel, children that, you know, it's not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit of God. And I get to partner with God in that. And that's an amazing vision that I think we've sometimes lost in the church. And so, there's this amazing promise that I never saw in Scripture, which I want to share with you today. In Isaiah 56, if you want to open to that, I'll read it out. It says, let no eunuch complain. So the term being here, eunuch, gay celibate person, person that's single for Christ. Let no celibate person complain. 
I am only a dry tree. Well, I'll never have a relationship. I'm going to be so sad, and I can never. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters, a name that shall not be cut off, I will give them an everlasting name. And it says that it's a name better than sons and daughters. And what that means is that it's even better than having children, actually. As amazing as having children is, as amazing as God's plan for marriage is to reflect the relationship of Jesus and his bride, the church, here we see another name you can have in the gospel that is even better in some way. God promises that when we give that up and we feel that lack, He will compensate for that. And so, that was just an amazing, I mean, give it up to Jesus. I mean, that's an amazing promise for gay people, for same-sex attractive people. Isn't that awesome? And so, look, I'm going to bring this to an end now, and we're going to have questions. Um, but be, before I do that, I, I just really want to do a quick, t- three really quick points about how you can reach your LGBTQI friends. One is never live a lukewarm Christian life. Jesus says, be hot or cold or I'll spit you out of my mouth. The problem is when gay people, same-sex attracted people like me come into the church and we see that people aren't giving up their sexuality, it's really hard for us to feel like we can give up ours because we don't see people doing that in a like clear way. And so you're giving over your sexuality to God, whatever your orientation, will actually unlock grace for others to do that too. So don't live that, but don't live a lukewarm life. Like, go for it with Jesus. Give everything back to Him. Always speak from your own brokenness. Never act like you've got it all together. (laughs) And don't act like you know exactly what it's like to be same-sex attracted or gay or to go through gender dysphoria. That these are real experiences and they're really hard and God will bring glory and beauty out of them. But they are an effect of the fall. And so there's a really hard living in that that then God transforms by His grace. So never look down on that. When someone gives their life to Christ in the same sex attracted, gay, whatever experience they're going through, that's a precious and beautiful thing that the church needs to celebrate. And the last thing I'll share with you is just a story. I was at a university and there was an interfaith dialogue on gay marriage. And Everyone's like, don't go, David, it's too controversial. And I was like, I have to go. These are my people. <laughs> this is what I came from. I have to go and speak to them. And they're somehow part of me, like I can't. So I went, and everyone's like, yeah, gay marriage is wonderful in the church. It's fine. I'm Muslim. Gay marriage is fine. I'm Sikh. Gay marriage is fine. You know, sexuality is this way. Yep, yep, yep. And then they got to me, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, And I said, well, as a celibate, same-sex attracted gay Christian man, (laughs) 
a mouthful. I actually think God has something better than that. And I explained everything I've explained to you, and at the end of it, the gay activist I once was in that conversation said to me, I suppose sex does get a bit old after a while. And I said to him, well, honey, worship doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Amen. (laughs) And he looked at me in the eyes, and he's like, I get it. There's another transcendence you're living for. There's another love that you've found, and I respect that you're different to me and that you believe something different. We didn't come to the same conclusion, but he was able to see that I wasn't condemning him and that I had a different vision. And the thing is, you guys don't have to even have this kind of response. You don't even have to have the perfect answer. You just need to point to Jesus and to the love of God and say, well, you know what? I don't have the answers, but have you experienced the love of God? And maybe today you have things blocking you. Maybe there's your sexuality. Maybe there's something else that's happened and it's really hard. But God wants you to experience His love. And it will change your life. It will turn your life completely upside down. What Jesus did on that cross, the height and depth and breadth of that love will change everything. So, Guys, I just want to invite you to that love today and sharing it with others. I'm going to get my friend Andrew Bunt up, who's also a pastor in the New Frontiers movement. He's also same-sex attracted, gay, celibate Christian. Um, And we're going to take your questions. I haven't covered everything in that, but I just wanted to give you as much as I could of my own experience and scriptures and how that's really helped me. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. So if you need to leave for another seminar, I think you'll, we'll just leave it for 60. You're good? Yeah, yeah? Okay, cool. So do we have questions? Feel free to come. Yeah. Hi. I just want to just say how great that was. It's explaining Thanks. your life story and what God has done in your life. And it's so refreshing coming to New Day, hearing a personal story Thank and you. a reflection of that. So I just really want to applaud you and say how amazing that is. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to, uh, if you can, just talk us through then when you've become a Christian, you've accepted Christ, that journey into celibacy then and realizing that, that yeah, God wants to speak into that aspect of your life and making that choice. How did you become from the choosing to live for Jesus? Yeah. Working out that, oh, I'm going to have to maybe give up something that I once treasured. Yeah, that's a really good question. Wow. Well, for the first three years of my journey, I'll just answer that quickly. I didn't think there was anything wrong with gay marriage. I thought, great, I'm going to have a gay partner and he's going to be Christian and the church better change so that I can have a marriage and it can be good. But then over time, God worked on my heart and 
he started to show me that my sexuality had a different meaning to what I thought it did previously, and that it wasn't actually about me and my desires, it was about him and serving him. And so there was like a flip in my understanding where it wasn't about, you know, how do I, you know, it wasn't about trying to climb up that ladder, as I said, it was like this beautiful gift of myself back to God. And I saw the scriptures and what they said, and I studied them, and I saw that it just was clear that God was calling me to do that. And I actually received, I was in Strasbourg, France at the time, and I received a book called Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. Um, And if you're interested in this topic, it's a really fantastic book. And I read Wesley's story, and he's a same-sex attracted gay celibate Christian and a New Testament professor. And um, I read the book, and I just felt God say, I want you to give me your homosexuality. And so I did. And it's funny, you know, you think, oh, now I would be miserable after that, but I wasn't. I had this incredible joy. It was like, I'd given God the most precious thing, what I'd made the idol in my life. I'd made romantic love, everything. And suddenly, instead of God being central, God became the center, and romantic love became secondary. And so then I was able to give that to God. Um, Yeah, I hope that helps. Go ahead. Um, How were you so open about, like, your sexuality in a church environment, knowing, like, how am I so open about it? Thank you. That's a really kind question. Um, that's a really heartfelt question. Thank you. Um, you know, when we look at Jesus, he was incredibly honest and real and truthful, and but he also knew when to like pull back from the public eye. And so I suppose I've just tried to follow Jesus in the way that I'm honest about that area of my life. And the thing that drives me is really like, I was like you guys at conferences listening to speakers and people wouldn't talk about this transparently and then I was left kind of not able to move forward or, um, and that's why I'm passionate about sharing my life story and the, the answer that I came to through my experience so others can do that, you know so that others can process that with God and feel free, you know, and not feel like I'm putting something over their head or... So it's really for you guys because I love you and I want you to go as far as you can with Christ and I'm just in love with God and I have to share it, you know, it's like, it's in me, you know, it's like a fire in my bones. Um, So it's just, yeah, it's really... God has brought me to this space now where he's like, for seven years he said, don't share your testimony. And he would close every door. I'd be like, I want to share my testimony. And God would be like, no. I want to talk about homosexuality. No. And this one day, just opened the door. And I, and I spoke. And it was like the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, this is what I want to do with my whole life. You know, this is... So it's really to partner with Jesus and be faithful to him, but also to bless you guys so that you can process these things and be confident in your faith and invite others into the love of God. So, yeah. But when the attack comes, I always remember Jesus, that he was attacked and persecuted, and he says, you will, when we give our life to him, 
will then receive it back a hundredfold with persecutions. <laughs> Just adding the sneaky with persecutions on the end. So he doesn't promise that it will be easy, but he promises that he will resource us with everything and that we can trust him. And so I just kind of cling to that and trust him. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I do identify as, in some way as gay as well, and I think that the gay community has to respect my story. And so I don't have any fear sharing it um, and just, yeah, being transparent about what God's done in my life. Do you want to share anything on that? About, just about, like, how you deal with, if you're transparent about your experience and you get attacked, how you deal with that? Yeah, I think I've been really fortunate, actually. I guess in the grace of God, I haven't had a lot of that. I think part of what's motivated me to be open is that the fact that people do get attacked, and it happens. And so actually, sometimes there's a cost in thinking, I can kind of slightly put myself out there, and uh, God can use that to change things. And I think, I guess when it happens, what I want to do, I want to love the people. Yeah. I want to love my enemies. <laughs> so actually, I'm going to try and be as yes. loving and as gracious uh, to them as I can be. But then also I'm going to look after myself. So I have lots of close friends who I can be really open with. And if I'm feeling really vulnerable because something like that has happened, I know who I can go to. I know I can be really honest. I know they're with me. Mm. I can go to them. I know I'm loved. I know this is all right. I know they'll encourage me and they'll spur me on. Yeah. And other thing I'd say is what's great about um, Andrew and I is that Andrew, my middle name's Andrew and David, it's interesting. Uh, Andrew and I, is that Andrew comes from a Christian background, whereas I was from an agnostic or atheist background, and so we'd probably experience slightly different things in that. And so if you do have any questions about that, um, yeah, that'd be great. I hope that helps answer your question. Next question. Um, this is kind of like the last question, but um, yeah. how do you react to people who claim that they're Christians but have extreme violent prejudice towards people who are attracted to the same sex? Can you just repeat that What's a bit louder? Um, how do you react to people who claim that they're Christians but have extreme violent prejudice towards people yeah. who are attracted to the same sex? Yeah, so I'll tell you a story. I was in the U.S. at a quite, you know, in the south of the U.S. and I was at a church and I told my testimony. And this man runs down to me at the stage and he says to me, he's weeping and I think, okay, he's going to say something about being same-sex attracted or gay, and he's like, I'm a homophobe. I was like, okay. He's like, I just hate gay people. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, and he's like, I just feel like God's delivered me. And, like, and I was like, that's amazing, you know? And the thing is, God is... God, that's something that people need to, the grace of God to touch and to transform, because that's actually deeply sinful to hate someone on that level. And that I think when we think about spiritual warfare, we see that actually what the enemy wants is this kind of fighting, you know, gay people fighting other people and then becoming, having hatred towards gay people and, and then everyone hates each other. But actually what God wants is reconciliation and love and laying down our lives for others. And so I think that speaks deeply against that, but God has grace for all people, whatever they struggle with. And I think too often those kind of attitudes are based on ignorance, just of not understanding. It's actually fear of the unknown often. So I'd want to maybe help the person, if they're open to talking, I'd be exploring why is it they feel that way? Why do you say this? Why do you think that? And also, again, that's why getting to know people, 
why having people who can share, this is my experience, and this is what I like, and they see you, you think, ah, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of or opposed to here. And that kind of dispels that ignorance, which is what kind of fosters those feelings in the first place. Yeah, and scientifically, it's really interesting. There's some studies that have been done that look at human brains. And um, when we experience otherness or someone different to ourselves, we actually have an automatic reaction to hate them. So our brain goes, I don't like that. (laughs) Um, But actually, the Holy Spirit is the power to change that so that we love those different to us and that we can be reconcilers and peacemakers. Jesus says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. And the sons of God are those who have the Holy Spirit and who can make peace in the world. So there you go. Yeah. Hi. Just on this side. Um, So um, our our church, we had uh, recently like a controversy about a man who came forward to our pastor and told him that he was in sexual immorality. He was a heterosexual. Yeah. Um, and at that time he was serving in the worship team and our pastor asked him to step down from the worship team. So my question is, how can, if we do have um, gay or LGBTQ um, members in our church, how can we um, allow them to get involved in like normal church things but also acknowledge that as well. Yeah, yeah, really good question. The first thing actually I'd say is we start by letting the elders of our churches do it. God puts elders, men who father our church, who shepherd the flock, and so they're there to look after us all. Everybody who comes to try and be part of that family, they're there to look after and help everyone to flourish. So it sounds like a cop-out, but it's so important. That's why God has given us these anointed men. So first thing would be to talk to them. I think David's first point a minute ago about how we all need to live the radical Christian life to make what we're saying about sexuality plausible is really important. Mm. Because actually, if we're in a church where radically living for Jesus is what it takes to be involved in certain areas of church life, probably especially those which are publicly focused, which are more directly spiritually focused, then it doesn't seem like uh, a specific opposition if actually when it's the case of sexual morality, we are uh, talking to the person about their level of involvement so we want to be in churches where we're all striving to follow Christ faithfully to the best of our abilities, as that goes right across the board of everything. And then it will come down to eldership, decision, work out how do we best feel we look after the whole of the church through this situation, and how do we best love and serve that person? What can we best for them in terms of bringing them back into the line of what Jesus wants for them? Yeah, and I just add something to that. We need to, if we look back to Jesus, what, how did Jesus lead? What was his kind of way of leadership, and it was laying down everything. And so I think if you're dealing with sexual desires or whatever, before you even think about leadership, give God a year and a half, two years to really get into your heart and transform you, and you'll be surprised in two years' time how differently you'll see things as He changes your heart and works on you, and then He may release you into leadership. So I think it's important that you feel the Lord releasing you and that it's really him releasing you and that you've laid down everything and then you're ready to kind of lead. So that's what I'd say, yeah. 